This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, Ethan Hamilton. Hopefully I get to say 2020, but we'll see how that goes. Stole my line. (laughs) If you'd like to contact the show, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. We are headed into what might be everybody's uh, playoff semifinals here this week. And so first off, just congratulations to everyone that has made it this far, including both of us. And if you are like both of us, you are only two games away from immortality. It takes a lot to get here, so just be thankful. And the first round of the playoffs is over, but it's certainly not done. So with that, let's just give you a quick roundup of our league, uh, usually the part of the show that everyone cares least about. But uh, for those of us in our league that do listen to the show, first off, thank you for listening. Second off, we had Akron Pros, who was heavily favored against King in the North, despite a 5-8 and eight record coming in in the sixth seed overall, ends up winning the game 162.8 to 118.85. The other matchup we had over the weekend, Dynasty Football Team and LDH, the two hottest teams coming off of Week 13, faced up against each other, and LDH smoked them. 197.1 to 130.8. Not bad scores, but this weekend you really had to put up some points in order to win some of these games. So with your team, you had 132.6 on your bye week. Not a great finish. You would have finished above both of the losers, but you would have been behind at least half of the other teams. Well, 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 I knew you were going to say that. Um, If you add in one, I didn't start a kicker, and I took out my defense to get a different defense and didn't switch it. So I would have been at like 150 152 or something like that. And so still better. at the exact same position, yeah. just a few points better. Uh, I still don't know why you uh, have four defenses on your team, but okay, sure. Anyway, uh, my team finished with 167.55, primarily buoyed on the fact that Kareem Hunt had a huge game, but we will talk about him in a moment. So, with that, the matchups for this weekend after the reseeding. Akron Pros, Dana Duncan, faces off against Tom Terrific, myself, father and son for a chance to go to the championship, versus the suddenly hot, who called me to brag because he thought he would be playing my team and said I should be looking out and be scared of his team, LDH, Derek Philippi, versus yeah, he's- yourself, Dynasty. He's been talking a lot of shit, you know, because he messaged me, too, then, probably after you told him that you're not playing him and told me that I should be worried, too, as I should be, because let's just do a little breakdown of his team. Over the last three weeks, there have been five people out of a list of five people, uh, the top five people scoring points. He has three of them. The list is Tyreek Hill, Derrick Henry, David Montgomery, Devontae Adams, and Travis Kelsey. He has one, three, and four. So, yeah. I am a little scared. Yes, his team is peaking right at the time that yours seems to maybe be making a bit of a comeback, but certainly not at the strength that you were earlier on in the year. I don't think this is the matchup you wanted to see. 
Oh, no, absolutely it's not. And it all basically, too, comes down to me losing that one that I shouldn't lost to our last place team. So, yeah, I should have been closing in on a number one seed. Did we have the same record? You and I? Yeah. Yes, we did did 10 and 3. Yeah. So if I wouldn't have lost to, what, the number 10 seed, I'd be sitting at the number one seed and I'd feel more comfortable about the matchup that I have coming in. But, yeah, I'm facing the hottest team, but you got to beat them sometime, so I might as well beat them this weekend. I was just thinking about this. So the Bills would be 7-0 and over their last seven games had it not been for the Hale Murray. If you remember back correctly, you would have lost to Ben had that not happened. Ben <laughs> would have been in first place. And provided that he had also gotten that win in the last week of the season, and he wouldn't have had to have lost early on, even though Christian McCaffrey is not expected this weekend, he might have had another week. And with Deshaun Watson not playing uh, the Bears, he might have had a better opportunity, whereas I might have beaten my dad. Uh, I would have been reseeded. You and I would have been playing. I mean, the difference in fantasy scoring sometimes is one or two plays during the entire course of the year. And that's how little it takes to change things. Yeah, that's crazy to me. That's nuts. Yep. An entire season comes down to one or two plays. Uh, with that, we also have four teams that were eliminated last week and had technically a bye week. They are in the consolation bracket. But I thought what we could do is open this up to a larger discussion. So part of the problem that we had early on with this league in particular with uh, the teams that ended up finishing towards the bottom just about every year was the input at that point in the season. Uh, Guys were not paying attention. They really weren't trying. And so the initiative to try and do well was not nearly as there as other points in the season. So I wanted to build in a system that didn't necessarily reward them for being vacant owners over the last, I don't know, probably five years that we've had this in place. So we currently have it so that you have to basically lose both of your games in order to end up in the last spot and earn the number one pick in fantasy. However... We've since replaced all of those guys with newer owners who are much more invested. Uh, I had at least one of them contact me specifically to know what their positioning was going to be so that they knew kind of what pick they were going to get and they could start mapping out their plans going forward. So I think it just depends, and I, I maybe like to open it up to a broader discussion on how to set up your league. And these are three concerns that I had that you would probably need to address. So if you do decide to convert your league into more of a dynasty level or you're starting one on your own. These are just some things to bring up. Number one, and this is one that's close to my heart particularly, I used to have things locked that the teams who didn't make the playoffs didn't get to participate in free agency. So I actually was rewarded a couple of years ago where everybody else was locked at the time, but I was able to pick up a kid who uh, was going to be starting for week 17 for the Kansas City Chiefs at quarterback, and so that he wasn't available in the following year's draft when he was going to be the starter, Patrick Mahomes. Now, subsequently, because everybody participates in the playoffs, there's no rosters that are locked. Technically, you can pick up any free agents. You can stash guys that will be available on your roster, and that actually creates a little bit more parity. So I think that's one place where I would have some 
concern as to how limited or not that you be in your league. Obviously, that's up to the individual, but that's one thing that you have to maybe consider. An additional piece, if you have teams that are invested, you don't want teams that at the end of the year when games are managed. So let's say the last three weeks before the playoffs, you know your team's going to be out of it. You don't want that last place, that 10th place team intentionally taking a game. As we saw, and we just literally mentioned, our number two seed could have been the number one seed had the number 10 team decided not to play. Now, that team has subsequently ended up as the ninth seed overall, I think, and has a good shot at getting the number one overall pick, but you want everybody to be competing. And that way it ends up being a fair assessment of the league value overall. And then... My last concern, and which is why I put this kind of round-robin consolation bracket in, but I make it somewhat of a concern going forward, is that if you pick it as the winner, so it was suggested to me by one of our league members that what you do is the winner of the consolation bracket ends up getting the number one pick. That means to me usually the team that may have just missed the playoffs but has a significantly better roster than the other ones or might have gotten healthy all of a sudden gets rewarded with the number one pick when I think that the worst team should end up getting that. So what do you think? Are there any concerns I missed in how to construct a league value or do you have any comments on any of those concerns I had? No, not really. I think you got it all covered. And I mean, it it makes a lot of sense and it helps keep structure and organization, I guess, in the league. So as somebody that's in your league, I, I do appreciate it. Well, and the other suggestion that I got, and I think it was roundly dismissed, was the kind of NBA lottery style in how to deal with this. But you don't have the availability to then uh, be a part of free agency and the consolation bracket may or may not matter, which I, I think is interesting. I, I'm Why play the games at that point? I mean, you might as well just basically set your best ball lineup and just let it play out through the consolation. I think there are many approaches that you can take to this, and it's not like there's any one great or necessarily bad solution, but I think you dictate it based on uh, how you think that your league would agree to governing themselves so for some leagues maybe that would be a lottery system for some leagues maybe that's the winner of the consolation bracket but these are just some things that i think should be considered and again part of the reason we do this show is to engage a broader audience on doing this type of league all right so let's review week 14 we're changing up the format a bit so if you've been with us you've been one of our loyal loyal listeners to this point We appreciate you, but we are doing this in a little bit different fashion. So please bear with us a little bit, but we're trying to get some more energy into the show. So let's just stop or start quickly with the top tens by position. Uh, Which position do you want to start with? Uh, Let's start out with quarterback. All right. So people, right? Well, in our league, it's a little bit different with the elevation and points and bonuses. So, Uh, But let's go in reverse order. So the number 10 finisher was a bit of a surprise, uh, Jalen Hurts. Then we had Russell Wilson, Mitchell Trubisky, surprisingly enough, Patrick Mahomes, pretty much a mainstay, Drew Locke, Derek Carr, Tua Tagovailoa, Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, and Lamar Jackson. 
Out of that, who is the biggest surprise to you on that top ten list? The biggest surprise to me is Drew Locke. I really thought that it was kind of over for him and for his team in general. Um, to see him on the top ten at least kind of helps him keep the mind of Denver open a little bit. So we've seen it before. I'm somewhat, but not the biggest surprise to me is not Jalen Hurts because he is going to have a higher floor with his legs. We've already seen that with Taysom Hill a little bit this year. Kyler Murray obviously adds value with his legs. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. We've mentioned it many times. The guys that have a little bit more uh, leeway to work with because of their rushing value, even to a certain extent, Patrick Mahomes. Now, he's not going to be running in touchdowns to get you the extra two points for a rushing touchdown as opposed to passing. And he puts up great stats regardless, but he does add a little bit of a rushing value to give you a couple of extra points a week that you might not otherwise have had. Derek Carr, he is a spotty guy who will be up and down. And I actually am not quite as surprised by Drew Locke because he's had some of these games. Not this year. He had a few of them last year. Given that he was playing the Panthers, you're not guaranteed of what you're going to get out of their passing defense, and I think that's important to how this matchup played out. That game was kind of an odd situation for both teams, and I think there was actually a lot more offense than I would have expected for two teams I I figured would actually be in a rather ugly game. The one that surprises me the most is actually Tua, and it's because we've only seen it once or twice before, And he did it against what I think is probably the best team. Not the best defense, obviously, but the best team. And to a certain extent, he kept the Dolphins in that game. So to me, he's a little bit closer to the Joe Burrow-Justin Herbert level than I would have thought maybe a week ago. And then he proved he could be a viable starter. Maybe even a guy that we could uh, see win a playoff game this year if the Dolphins make it that far. I think he proved a little bit to me in that that regard. And as a fantasy starter, it's a guy that, you know, maybe you take a second look at as a, a second quarterback going into next year that could be uh, a guy who all of a sudden turns it around or hits it big. And if they get a little bit more in the skill position players, uh, maybe at running back, maybe another wide receiver that's capable uh, to go with the pieces that they already have assembled there. I think he all of a sudden can become, you know, a guy who's regularly in the top 10. So uh, let's go to running back. That's the next position on my list. So we'll go from 10 to one. We had Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Cam Akers, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry. Which is your biggest surprise out of those two? I think there's a couple that surprised me. Mike Davis kind of surprises me because he was kind of a mainstay on this list when Christian McCaffrey initially went down and he was filling in. And then he kind of hit that wall where we find out, yeah, he's a backup for a reason. Maybe, maybe, because I'm sure a lot of Christian McCaffrey owners now have Mike Davis because of the whole um, handcuff situation. Maybe he can turn a corner. You know, he's playing against a really, really bad run defense in Green Bay this next week. I can even think of him being a surprise for next week as well. Another one that I kind of have on there is Kareem Hunt, but I think you'll probably touch a little bit more on that one. Kareem Hunt was surprising 
even or only in so much as he had had several single-digit performances the weeks before that. The three weeks before that, he had yet to hit double digits. So if anything, it was just simply surprising. I knew he had this ability in him, but for once he actually got involved in the offense, and that's the biggest value to me. I expect Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, um, you know, even Miles Sanders, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry to all be around the top 10, especially now that Taylor seems to have figured it out and has been playing some better matchups. He looks like the guy that you would have predicted would have gone in, in like a top 10 situation, maybe a top 15 uh, running back pick into next year's redraft leagues. So that doesn't surprise me all that much. David Montgomery, you and I had him as our uh, stud of the week, and that proved out. He's now had three straight games of, I think, at least 25 points, and he's had three really great matchups against, I think, the uh, Texans, the Lions, and the the Packers. Obviously, that's not going to be the case next week against the Vikings, so maybe he gets a slight downgrade from where he has been, but he's been putting up the, the numbers lately. If any of these, for me, it's, even though we got a disparity of carries, the effectiveness at which he ended up just absolutely rolling over New England, it's Cam Akers for me. I mean, we were talking about it slightly while we were on Thursday's pod at how fast and effective he seemed to be hitting the hole. And just the amount of carries he was getting by comparison to some of these other guys I think by far, if the Rams continue to give him the ball in a lot of different ways, I mean, this guy put up, I think, 200 total yards of offense, and he didn't even hit pay dirt. Like, you start throwing in a touchdown or two, and this guy is suddenly, dare, or excuse me, Todd Gurley 2.0 for the Rams, which is what we both thought he could be. So all of a sudden, he becomes a huge, valuable asset at, at running back. And to me, that's a pleasant surprise if nothing else and especially because he's on my team going into a week i'm really gonna need it let's go to wide receiver then so 10 to 1 in descending order or uh nuke hopkins nelson Aguilar, aj brown kj hamler calvin ridley alan robinson ty hilton Devonte adams stefan diggs tyreek hill i'm pretty sure we're gonna eliminate aj brown hopkins Adams, Diggs, and Hill, because those guys have been up towards the top all season, even Kelvin Ridley to a certain extent. Uh, Allen Robinson, I think, has been comfortably in the top 10 most of the year. So out of Hilton, Hamler, or Aguilar, who is the most surprising name on this list for you? I think the easy answer is Hamler, but I'm not going to go with the easy answer. I think I'm going to go with T.Y. Hilton. I could even argue Nelson Aguilar, but he's had up and down weeks all season long. So I'm not really surprised to see him on this list because next week he'll probably only get like four points or something like that. But for me, it's T.Y. Hilton. You know, he's going to win probably a lot of people a consolation championship because he's kind of turning it on a little late. But I think like we talked about last time, he's, he's in for a pretty decent fantasy football playoffs. And... I would probably name him the same, just because I think he has the most long or long-standing impact over the rest of the season, the last two weeks here. 
I think that now that he's starting to put up numbers, I think this is at least three weeks in a row for him. He's starting to be close to what he used to be. He's apparently developed some type of uh, scenario with um, Philip Rivers that, or situation, some connection with Philip Rivers. You might start or you might be able to count on that if for whatever reason you had him on your roster. I know that just about everybody and their cousin was dropping him, and with good reason. So for him to have this just sudden turnaround is probably the most surprising thing I've seen, at least in the last few weeks. Because other guys where they had inklings here or there or would put up a, a 10-point week, like Hilton was barely being targeted. He was not effective. You didn't know what was wrong. I You couldn't explain it, but he was just not usable. And at a certain point, he was just not even worth rostering. And now he's becoming a top-five player. And I just... There is such a stark change from him being unrosterable to being a top 10 player on a weekly basis or a guy that you could really count on, not only just to have on your roster, but to start in a fantasy playoff situation that I I think that has to be the biggest surprise. All right, and then finally, tight end. So descending order, uh, Jimmy Graham and Mark Andrews were tied for 10th, so I'll include both of them. Jeff Swaim of the Titans. Don't worry if you haven't heard of him. I didn't before this week either. Darren Waller, Jared Cook, Robert Tanyan, TJ Hawkinson. By the way, good call on that one. I think you had a Hawkinson and I had Tanyan. And Tanyan did score the touchdown like I predicted, but ended up finishing like a couple of yards or a couple of yardage points uh, behind Hawkinson. Foster Moreau, Irv Smith Jr., Mike Gusecki, who is suddenly turning into one of the top five tight ends. And Travis Kelsey. So out of this list, let's not even go for the most obvious one because there are some names on the... I think both of us would say, who the fuck is Jeff Swain? But who is the other bigger, biggest surprise to you? I, I'm actually going to kind of detour here, and I'm not going to go surprise for just this year. I'm going to go with the constant surprise, and I won't even be surprised. I guess he's kind of coming into his own. TJ Hawkinson. He's kind of been on the top 10 list every single week and we've kind of been expecting it like this was, and it really, it's been a quiet year. I kind of feel for TJ Hawkinson, but he's one of those guys where he was a young, you know, he is a young tight end. There was an argument between him and Noah Fant. And I can, I can say honestly, between the two, I think as of right now, I'd rather have TJ Hawkinson week in, week out. He's getting his numbers, and he's getting a lot of opportunities and targets as well. Like, the offense is kind of moving through him. So as long as Matt Stafford is there at quarterback in Detroit, uh, TJ Hawkinson would be a tight end that I'd really want. I think when, if we had been doing a podcast back when they were drafted, I think we would have said this is as close to two guys, especially because they came out, both came out of Iowa. It was an interesting case. But I would have compared Hawkinson favorably to Gronkowski. He was the blocking tight end. He was the more complete guy that probably wouldn't come off the field. Whereas I would have said Fant was closer to like a Jimmy Graham type, a fast, uh, tall, jumping uh, tight end type who wasn't necessarily an inline blocker, but presented a lot of matchup issues that you could line up in a whole lot of different situations. And I think that's kind of how things have played out. Uh, I don't know how effective Fant is necessarily as a blocker. They've said that he wasn't as complete, so that's part of what I'm drawing on. But I, I 
we'll love to see how this kind of plays out even through the next couple of years yet and see which one ends up presenting the bigger fantasy value. Because right now, you don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be long-term for Detroit yet. And you don't even know what it's going to be this weekend because Stafford, we don't know what his health is going to be. But the other situation, is Drew Locke going to be the long-term quarterback for the Broncos? And thus, what can you draw from that situation? I think that's how things are going to have to play out. The biggest surprise for me is Gusecki. He's had some big games occasionally, but he hasn't been that consistent stalwart on defense yet. And so, or on defense, on offense yet. And I'm liking the fact that he seems to have developed the connection with Tua where maybe you can really draw some through lines as things kind of go along to be a viable tight end in both redraft and dynasty in the way that we thought he might be coming into this year. He hadn't really put up some of these performances, so I'm pleasantly surprised he's been able to be effective. And uh, he's he's a good option, especially if you have him in a redraft situation or something else. He's worth a potential start this weekend. I, I think he's kind of come into his own the last couple of weeks, and we definitely have seen how uh, Tua likes his tight ends. So that's um, my big surprise for the week. So other big pleasant surprises, and then we will do... Uh, our other segment, the Don't Go In There, our uh, fantasy horrors of the week. So I have a small list of guys here that I have as pleasant surprises, but anybody you want to highlight? Um, no, let's kind of go through your list, and I'll kind of just make comments on what you got. So Jonathan Taylor, he was the number two back this weekend. He clearly had a huge game. You had him picked out as the number two pick. You've obviously traded him off for Miles Sanders and some other situations, but this is kind of the guy that we thought he might be. Yeah, most definitely. I read something, too, for Jonathan Taylor, which came to my point earlier, is the game's kind of slowing down for him. And for him, he didn't work out of a lot of shotgun formation in at Wisconsin. Phillip Rivers is a quarterback that works out of the shotgun all the time. So he is trying to figure out the timing, the difference between that. And it, he really is, I feel like, starting to, to figure it out. When I traded him, it was more out of necessity of I was trying to make a run this year. I even said myself, you know, I still think he's going to be a really good back. But now he's kind of turning into the back we kind of all thought he was going to be this mystical creature that's really, really huge, but also runs really, really fast. I said it to you in a text message, like after the fact, like if our, if our trade deadline was a week later, I wouldn't have traded Jonathan Taylor because that was the start of his breakout. So it's kind of funny how that, that stuff works. You know, I'm a little bummed that I don't have him anymore, but then you think about it, you know, Miles Sanders is only one more year in the league more, you know, he's still a really good back. And I think Jalen hurt is really going to help him out. So i you're probably going to have more on Miles Sanders because it looks like he's next on your list. But Jonathan Taylor, as much of a surprise as it is, I don't really think it's too much of a surprise because the guy is really good. And I think the game is just slowing down for him that much more. I think if we were coming into the weekend and you would have told Eagles fans that they were going to beat the Saints, they would have laughed in your face. Unless it was like those irrational Eagle fans. And let's face it, that's probably most Eagle fans. But even so... Uh, I don't think anybody in league circles really was predicting them to be in the game after what they had seen against Green Bay the previous week 
and that they really had much of a chance, and they pretty much well dominated this game. They played a lot of good defense. They uh, bottled up the run, especially because Taysom Hill was a run-first type of option for them. But Jalen Hurts had an effective game. The Saints hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher in, I think, almost three calendar years, and they allowed two this weekend, Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. Now, Miles Sanders did have one really big run that contributed to that, but uh, as the resident Miles Sanders owner, are you pleasantly encouraged, and I guess at what level are you encouraged, uh, if so, by what you saw this weekend? I'm encouraged a lot, actually. Um, I'm as encouraged as I feel like J.K. Dobbins owners are when they found out that he was going to go to an offense like Baltimore. With Jalen Hurt now being the quarterback, I feel like they have a lot more opportunity to run read options. And even Miles Sanders said it himself. He's super excited to run the read option with Jalen Hurt. That is just going to put Miles Sanders in a lot more favorable opportunities and favorable matchups because it's just going to typically then be him on a linebacker. He's got to make one read and then he goes and it just simplifies the game. I I'm super encouraged. If if Jalen hurt can be a quarterback that can be one, like not like Taysom Hill where it's like, okay, we're going to make him throw the ball to beat us. If he's serviceable enough with his arm to keep defenses honest this offense just has so many more different options that they have that they can use. And so I'm really encouraged as a Miles Sanders owner and as a Jalen Rager owner as well, because it's just going to open up, just going to open up the offense that much more. So I can't remember the kid at Penn State who Miles Sanders played with that was the freshman quarterback that ended up beating Wisconsin in that Big Ten title game. And he's now like the third string quarterback, second string quarterback due to the RG3 injury in Baltimore, and he's played a little bit over the last couple of weeks, including last night, notably, uh, during the Lamar Jackson cramp issue. Uh, but the, Did you say uh, cramp or crap? I plead the fifth. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, Miles Sanders has worked a lot in that read option type of situation when you go back to that, so I think that is a little bit more natural for him. Let's move to one of the other players. You made a passing comment toward it, and I thought it was odd, but it seems to really be paying off. And that's the Allen Robinson situation. Uh, or Allen Robinson, excuse me. Earlier this year, you were beside yourself that Mitchell Trubisky had to be benched, that Nick Foles had to be in. And then all of a sudden, Allen Robinson started to produce more when Nick Foles was in. Now it's the reverse opposite where somehow Mitchell Trubisky has unlocked this Bears offense and they become more dynamic. And I don't get it. But as the Allen Robinson owner, the guy who needs him to produce in order to win this weekend, I I don't know. Are you counting on the Trubisky magic? Boy, let's take a timeout, though. Mitch looked really, really good this past weekend, though. You got to admit. He has spurts and starts. My I hope know, is, I is that I don't understand it. 
my my hope is is that he ends up playing himself into convincing the Bears to hold on to him for just another year because I think he's one of the best Packer players we've had in a while, at least since Jay Cutler. Since Jay Cutler, absolutely. He's been one of the best Packer players that we've had, that we haven't had to pay, right? Exactly. Um, Same with Rex Grossman or you know any of these guys um, for, for years. Yeah, earlier in the season, right, I was banging on the table for Mitch Trubisky to be out. And um, now I'm super happy that he's back in. First, let's talk about Mitch. He looks better. He looks more comfortable. He looks hungrier. He looks more focused. And he looks like he has more command of that offense and the huddle just as a whole. Allen Robinson has been playing with shitty quarterbacks his entire career. His entire career he's been playing with shitty quarterbacks. And this last time, it is his fault. He had an opportunity to come here to Green Bay. And he decided to go to Chicago for whatever fucking reason. It makes no, absolutely no sense. I'm still banging on the table for Allen Robinson to leave. I would like him to be someplace else as an Allen Robinson owner. Because I really do think that this guy has the ability to put up consistent top 10, top 15 numbers week in, week out with as good as the wide receivers in this freaking league are. Like, it's crazy how much wide receiver talent there is in the NFL today. Um, but yeah, Allen Robinson, I am banking on him having a really good game this weekend. That may just be me hoping and praying because I need a big weekend at him. But historically, him and Mitchell Trubisky have had a pretty good connection when Mitchell Trubisky is playing well. The problem with Allen Robinson, it all comes down to his quarterback. So... I'm crossing my fingers, really. That's all I can say. Normally, you'd say going against the Vikings, it wasn't a great matchup, but I don't think there's any one player at cornerback for the Vikings that scares me enough to say that Allen Robinson couldn't beat him. It's whether or not Trubisky is fooled by the defensive pressures that somebody uh, like the Vikings are going to put on him constantly. And yeah, and it's it's the mind game, too, of Mike Zimmer. But the thing that helps me with Allen Robinson is Mitchell Trubisky loves to force-feed him the ball. So, yeah, hoping you pray. <laughs> I think that this is the type of thing that happens to Bears fans all the time is, is they get just enough hope in order for the rug to be pulled out from under them yet again. Okay, let's go to last night's game, which a, a bunch of people, including the telecast, kept highlighting as the game of the year. It was such a crazy game, especially in the second half. But Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Kareem Hunt, like everybody seemed to be putting up points in a game that was 47-42 to 42 in its final score. I guess just what were your impressions of this back-and-forth game in a – situation where you have two younger quarterbacks who everybody's been kind of knocking most of the year producing in the last couple of minutes and the Ravens pulling out that win at the end. You know, I think um, Baker Mayfield is one of the classic backyard football type of quarterbacks. Like he's really, really good when there's a lot of chaos or when he's kind of in control of everything where he's not really getting too many plays from the sideline where he's kind of just doing his thing. Lamar Jackson is obviously a better quarterback when his run game is more efficient and when he is a, when he when he does break off big runs and then forces the defense to be honest and that's what makes him really good. These two yeah like you said these two are two very young quarterbacks that'll be going at it for years to come and it's super exciting. It was a really fun exciting game to watch and I can't really remember the last time I've said that about a Browns Ravens game. No, I, I definitely am encouraged if, I mean, could, 
to be honest, I think most NFL fans would like to see the Browns kind of go somewhere because it's the lovable losers at, at a certain point. Like, we, we just have this impression of Cleveland that they're never going to end up going anywhere. And so it'd be nice to see them do something. They're obviously already in the playoffs this year. So let's see how this kind of plays out. But they're an exciting team that has a lot of star players in a lot of different positions. I'm just happy to see that we got a semblance of what Lamar Jackson was at one point back. And I think it directly links to the fact every time they go to more of a two-back system, they go either Dobbins and Edwards, or they've gone, last year it was Ingram and Edwards, and they really limit the amount of guys that are turning in and out of that offensive backfield. It's worked out better for Lamar Jackson. You even look at a couple of games earlier this year where Mark Ingram was out. They had better running numbers, and Lamar Jackson started to put up different points. So I think at this point, it's pretty obvious, especially since they're competing for a playoff position, that Mark Ingram came into the game, he started it with one carry. He never touched the ball or was in the game again. I think unless you're giving him some weird starting streak that you'd have to go to J.K. Dobbins. He is by far the more dynamic back. And Gus Edwards does give you some different compliments for what you try and do in different sets, but I think it unlocks what Lamar Jackson does best, creating off the run. And once you can unlock that portion of your offense, now you've got back the guy that was the unanimous MVP last year, the guy that I thought going into next year could again be an underrated pick for a lot of teams, especially in redraft, uh, end up winning you your league because everybody was doubting him for having the Madden curse on his head this year. Other big impressions that I had over the weekend. So we kind of talked about KJ Hamler a little bit. He's a speed receiver. He was coming out of Penn State. He kind of reminded me of Henry Ruggs Light, but he had two long touchdowns in this one. Again, that's kind of a one-off. We, we've seen him play a little bit above himself the last couple of weeks, but I'd like to see a little bit more of it before I say it's a trend. So I'm not going to read too much into that one. Herb Smith Jr. has clearly— Actually, let's go back to K.J. Hamler, though. Sure, go ahead. Be- because KJ Hamler was actually somebody that I he wasn't in my top ten or anything like that, but he was somebody no. that I was I was keeping an eye on because I thought he had big playability, which is something that the NFL loves. His speed, and I think he I felt like he was an underrated route runner as well. He's one that I would actually keep an eye on, and I know we're gonna do um, stream stash or drop later on. But he would be honestly one that I would look to not stream the rest of the year. But if you're one of those teams that's kind of sitting in the bottom and you're kind of looking for a big player to carry over to next year, he's one of those people that I would at least take a chance on. I, I kind of like KJ Hamler. Again, I think it depends on the quarterback situation, but he's right, a, an interesting guy to take a flyer on. I don't think you're going to have to invest anything more than um, maybe a double-digit round pick especially in redraft leagues. And if you're not at minimum stashing him in a dynasty setting, I don't know what you're doing, but he is an interesting player. He's got some dynamic speed and you can never substitute or take away speed. It's just one of those things that's absolutely going to kill. And I think he has a weird possibility that he could be uh, the Denver version of maybe a Tyreek Hill type if they use him properly. And again, I think it has to do more with 
the system, the quarterbacking, Quarterback, and everything else absolutely. than what his talent ability is because he's an excellent kick returner. He's a guy with a lot of speed. He can be used in a lot of different ways. Just it's interesting to see how Denver's going to eventually use him. Right now, he had one big game that, yeah, you can now point to this and say, okay, this is what he could be. But let's see how that kind of plays out yet. Absolutely. The the other two guys kind of on my list, and I'll, I'll just go with the, the bottom one first, but Irv Smith Jr., this is a guy that I had as kind of a sleeper-ish tight end that's kind of coming into that top tight end in Minnesota situation who I would see possibly taking... First off, he's the top tight end as far as targets, I think, already uh, away from Kyle Rudolph. And since Kyle Rudolph, I think, was only signed for another one-year deal that he's up after this season, I would expect that the Vikings, due to their cap restrictions anyway, will probably let Kyle Rudolph walk. So now Irv Smith would be the top guy. But in the amount of power football, multiple tight end sets that the Vikings like to run, he's a guy that, not right now, not quite yet, but could be somebody that we keep our eye on, not just for the playoffs, but going forward at the tight end position that could be an underrated guy for you next year that maybe you draft as like your 14th round pick and all of a sudden he hits because you waited on tight end. He's somebody in that range, kind of like we used to talk about John Smith or Dallas Goddard or some of these other guys that were a little bit lower down the pecking order, but just needed to get their opportunity and, and figure it out. The other guy I had, and this is more of my Packerdom coming out, is MVS. He had a really good game on Sunday against the Lions, and more of it had to do with the fact he didn't actually drop the football. So I don't think this is something that we can draw on and say that he's going to be an excellent player because he's not getting the huge amount of targets that somebody like Devontae Adams is doing. But he's clearly become the second guy after Devontae Adams, maybe even to a certain extent Robert Tanyan, because it doesn't look like uh, Aaron Rodgers is really going to Alan Lazard right now as much as he was earlier in the season. He's really utilizing the speed of MVS, but it's just nice to see as a Packer fan that there's a little bit more to this receiving core and the amount of options that they have going forward. I don't know what he's going to be as a fantasy player because, again, he just drops too many footballs. All right. Don't go in there. No, don't go in there. The guys that were just horrific this weekend for your team, especially if you were starting them, one of them includes one of my, uh, let's say, underrated studs of the week, Justin Jefferson, and on the other side, Adam Thielen. Uh, Single-digit points for both. I was really, I asked you about this before, and I kind of want to know, I'm going to ask you the same question. Moving forward, now knowing who your matchup is, knowing it's your dad, knowing that there's going to be shit-talking involved and bragging rights for the next year, are you a little worried with the Jefferson-Thielen so, situation moving forward, or do you feel this okay? Rem- this reminds me of asking the same question about the Cardinals last week. Yeah, there's a little bit of concern because it looked like they were reverting to that, but given how they played Chicago earlier in the season that the game is going to be indoors, that the Vikings are obviously going to be looking to kind of uh, get back into the playoff situation. I really think they need this game, and so that, uh, especially if the Bears are going to be a little bit better on offense, that this could be a game where they come back out and play much better, especially given how many points they ended up leaving on the field on Sunday. So 
yeah, I'm a little bit concerned, but let me turn this around yet again. Is there any way you're not starting either of these guys? No, no. So then, especially yeah. me, especially yeah. me. You know, I've said it a million times. I, I go down with my studs. Like I have my studs for a reason. They're typically the reason I got there. If I lose because my studs put up a dud, that's just fantasy football sometimes. But the thing that I think that you got going for you that I think you can feel a little bit better about as well, and the thing that'll make me feel a little shittier, so it's a double double win for you, is Dalvin Cook has historically not been very good against Chicago. They're very, very good at stopping him, and especially now that Hakeem Hicks is back, those two hate each other, absolutely hate each other. It's kind of fun watching them bark at each other between every play. That makes me feel a lot better, too, about Jefferson and Thielen. So, if yeah, I had them. Akeem Hicks and Delvin Cook go at each other like there's some rap battle oh, that's my between them. goodness. Yeah, just watching them go at it. It's fun, though. It's fun. So, the other guys that were disappointments on my list, guys that just underperformed what, what I was hoping for, Justin Herbert, he's been a top-10 quarterback most of the year, but the last couple of weeks he's just... He's not been the same, and that was still in a winning effort against Atlanta, but in the matchup that you would hope for, he just hasn't been producing. Deshaun Watson against Chicago, um, clearly this was a game that you would thought, you know, even against Chicago, their defense hadn't been great lately. Matt Stafford just put 400 yards up on them, and uh, Deshaun Watson had played great against Indianapolis the previous week. I certainly was not expecting him to have such a bad week. Matt Ryan didn't even get double-digit points for the weekend. I mean, against the San Diego defense, who basically gives up double-digit points to quarterbacks in the fourth quarter, let alone an entire game. Uh, And Josh Jacobs, dude, I know what he was trying to do, and that I, if I were a regular NFL player, I would be upset or annoyed by the amount of fantasy questions I get. But fuck you, dude. Seriously? You played with my lineup all weekend because of that. Fuck you. He is now becoming my... My Corey Davis. Not quite on that level, but he... (laughs) Like, ugh. All right. Uh, Aaron Jones, uh, not even double-digit points yet again in what would have been one of the premier matchups of his season against the Lions. I mean, I think this was a game in week two that he ripped off a huge run, had a big game. So kind of a weird situation. And then the Giants offense pretty much screwed Wayne Gallman. I don't know if that is indicative of anything that Wayne Gallman's responsible for because it looked like Daniel Jones should not have been on the field. But he had a really disappointing game if you were relying on him to put up the same production he had been for about the last six, seven weeks. Anybody on here that... uh, I guess, disappointed you. I mean, yeah, I kind of want to touch base on Justin Herbert. Anybody that has Justin Herbert, don't lose faith in Justin Herbert. We also need to remember he's still a rookie, and he's still playing the hardest position that is on that football field. I still think he's going to be in a tremendous quarterback, a tremendous dynasty option for you as well. You know, he's kind of just hitting that rookie wall. So I feel like this is something that you should be expecting, honestly, from your rookies and the rookies that are able to power through it, just more power to them. With somebody like, um, do you, were you going to say something? No. No? Okay. With somebody like Deshaun Watson, I feel like this is kind of what we expected, what was going to happen. 
he's literally down to third string, fourth string wide receivers. Will Fuller's out, and we we knew he was going to regress. You know that that just sucks, and that's the way it is going to be for the rest of the year. So you kind of hope that the Texans give him some more help this off season and build for next year, but. Yeah, Deshaun Watson. I'm, that one really doesn't surprise me. I thought it would have happened last last week, personally. Well, and that was my thought too. And I was encouraged by the fact that he was able to put up points against Indianapolis. But boy, I I just hope that this isn't what we can expect out of Deshaun Watson next year when they're going to start really struggling with the lack of draft picks they have early on and how difficult it's going to potentially be with the talent void that they might have to endure. Because he's too good of a quarterback to be put in this situation. Like, we said it when he signed his extension early in the year that we just hoped that the best years of his career weren't going to be ruined by being in Houston and the Bill O'Brien situation and all that crap. Because, I mean, he's an exciting player. He should be one of the faces of the NFL, and right now he's just been put in a really shitty situation. I don't know. There's... Herbert... I would agree with your your assessment. I just I wonder how long this struggle is going to last now if that that you've gotten a system that have figured it out. And again, I think this is a, a weird thing cuz I still don't know what the Chargers are going to do at coach. That's that's my biggest concern moving forward. As far as Aaron Jones, there's no way he's staying with the Packers and I I've started to see the articles popping up with you know, where could Aaron Jones end up? And I think some of the suggestions were like the Dolphins. I'm trying to think who are some of the other teams on that list. I mean, but running back is so interchangeable. I think he's going to end up having to take a more friendly deal than he otherwise would have, especially with the cap being reduced. So it really just depends on what his value is going to be with which team he's going to be on. And again, I think we can take maybe a bittersweet victory lap that we pretty much called this one that you should have probably traded him at max value before the year. And that's, that's pretty hard to accept. Yeah. You know, as Packer fans, absolutely. Uh, for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on him for sure being gone yet because I feel like if they knew he was going to be gone, they'd be working the fuck out of him, Like where there was nothing left. All right. See, I have a great time. You know, he has new representation now as well, which kind of worries me because he's with the Rosen houses and they guys, they get their guys paid. Um, I was also reading something, too, where him and his old agent, they were negotiating, they came to a standstill. And, you know, I, I guess if it came to a standstill, how, how are new agents, especially agents as good as they are at getting their, their clients what they want? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I did just convince myself that I don't see Aaron Jones coming back. But it's tough, it's frustrating, and you do see Green Bay giving Jamal Williams a lot more run. So as somebody that probably won a lot of leagues last year, too, and you're kind of baking on him to do it again, yeah, absolutely. You missed the boat on on selling him. Well, the touchdown regression was to be expected. It's that the carry disparity has been rather stark. They've really tried to divide the carries almost in half. And he did miss several games with that calf situation, so he hasn't been the primary guy for a while. I guess 
the biggest thing is is Aaron Rodgers has surged, whereas Aaron Jones has taken a back seat because the Packers are throwing the ball in the red zone as opposed to running it like they did a lot more last year. And I think that's more indicative of Rodgers being more comfortable in the offense. So, you know, the Packers offense is just better and more dynamic, but that's come at the expense of Aaron Jones's fantasy value. And again, that's unfortunate, but that's kind of what we, we thought going into this year. And I, I think you can see it coming. So let's go to our, the good, the bad and the ugly calls of the week. So my good call of the week, I'm going to take credit on the David Montgomery, although you did pick it as well as our stud of the week. He ended up finishing in the top five, was going just outside of the top ten for the position, uh, clearly had a great week against a good matchup in Houston. What was your good call of the week? What are you taking a victory lap on? Um, Jonathan Taylor, but for that one, that I feel like that was an easy call. He had a great matchup. Um, so uh, Jonathan Taylor, we were kind of both on, so I'm going to take my victory lap with Jalen hurts. Uh, you were a little bit more passive thinking he was going to be a little bit more managing the game, which he kind of did passing the ball, but none of us, I don't even, I didn't even expect him to have over a hundred yards rushing and even lead his team to a win and really open up the offense as much as he did. Just him being on the field and being that productive it was kind of completely different Philadelphia Eagles def- or offense. So we'll kind of see how these next teams kind of react to it. And I guess we'll see how good Jalen Hurts really is over the course of these next two weeks. But for this week, I'm going to take my victory lap with him. Definitely he was great this weekend for Philadelphia against the Saints. My only question would be, does he end up seeing that kind of arc we've seen out of Taysom Hill where he can come out and he can run the football and they can do some different dynamic things, but they have some trouble throwing the football. I think Jalen Hurts is a much more talented thrower than Taysom Hill is, so that is not the question for me. It's whether or not they can really start to hit some plays down the field in order to loosen up the run game because otherwise you're going to get some of these stacked boxes. And that might be the the troublesome thing going forward for a Miles Sanders or a Jalen Hurts where they had a, a better situation this weekend. But if they can figure out how to get somebody like, I, I don't think Deshaun uh, Jackson is playing, but, you know, Jalen Rager, the guy you've been hitting on all season, if you can get him as the speedster down the field and get him kind of opened up, I think that gives them another dynamic that currently somebody like Taysom Hill does not have. Something closer to what... I guess where my my discrepancy would be is is Jalen Hurts closer to somebody like Kyler Murray or is he closer to uh, somebody like Taysom Hill? That's uh, that's where I, the difference is going. That's a really that's a really really good evaluation right there. Honestly, um, yeah, is he? You know, Kyler he's an above average passer of the football, um, a much better runner of the football. You know, Taysom Hill is an awful thrower of the football, a very good runner of the football. So yeah, who is, who is Jalen Hurts? And I think the rest of the games this season, I think we're going to kind of see what he can be for the Eagles. Well, and they don't have some terrible matchups that you wouldn't at least consider him as a viable starter. If you had been relying on some other situations that you couldn't now. So it's a situation where maybe he is worthy of a spot start. It's just be cognizant that it, he could end up really disappointing you if he ends up being just a primary runner. Now, that's going to keep his floor higher, but what do we get out of him past that? So for my bad call of the week, I'm going to take my 
I don't know. What's the opposite of victory lap? Uh, a loser stand? Go sit uh, in the corner, put a dunce hat, uh, hat on. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the bad call of the week, I'll take Justin Jefferson uh, being one of my studs of the week. Obviously, having single-digit points, he was not great against the Buccaneers this weekend. What was your bad call of the week? My bad call of the week was being so down on the Cardinals. Uh, they came out against a pretty hot uh, Giants team and was pretty productive. They kind of got back to their old ways. Kyler Murray ran the ball 13 times, only still only a 47 yards rushing, no touchdowns. Threw the ball pretty decently, still only one touchdown there. But I think the thing that is enlightening is they were forcing New Hopkins the ball. 11 targets, 9 grabs for 136 yards. So maybe Kyler's getting healthier. Maybe they're starting to realize that, oh, my God, we're in a playoff race right now. We need to win every freaking game, and we need to get our superstars the ball, which is something they should have been doing all year long. I don't know. But whatever they did last week is something that I need, as somebody that has a lot of Cardinals on his team, them to do again this upcoming week. And we're going to stay on that game for my ugly call. I had the Giants as my upset call. Obviously, that did not go well. Uh, the Giants were kind of buying into their own brand a little bit. Obviously, I think everybody's basically concurred that Daniel Jones should not have been in this game, but Hassan Reddick basically made him into his um, lunchable all weekend. So uh, that was my ugly call of the week. What was yours? My ugly call of the week was Lamar Jackson. I did not really see him having as big of a game as he did. And if they would have contained him on the ground, that would have been true. He only had 163 yards passing for a touchdown. You know, he was sacked four more times, but he had 124 yards on the ground and six touchdowns. Left with craps and came back even better. So Lamar Jackson was my ugly. Yeah, I think he has over 50 yards rushing in like his last three games. And he's starting to remind us of who he used to be. I just hope it continues because we need more dynamic, exciting quarterbacks in the league for the health of the game. Uh, all right. Pickups, streams, stashes, and drops. I'm going to give you a list of players and we're going to pick. Is this player a pickup, stream, stash, or drop? Kiki Kuti. One question. Is it, sure. for, is it for the rest of the season or is it like dynasty? As of right now. Stash would mean like I'm holding him possibly for next season or I'm at least okay. putting him on my bench. Okay. Drop is this player is no longer valuable at all that you can. So cut it's them. like, so like dynasty evaluation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, got it. I mean, this I got is a dynasty show. So. I know. Just making sure. Just all right. trying to figure it out. Kiki Kuti. He's actually somebody that I would. I feel like you got to stream him for the rest of the season. And I think I'd stash him at the end of the year as well, because you really don't know what Deshaun Watson is going to have to work with next year. I'm going to go with a drop. He was in the single digits this last week, and I know it was in a matchup that wasn't particularly good, but his usage rate isn't high. His target rate is not necessarily high. You're actually getting a better target share uh, at times from uh, a practice squad player in Chad Hansen, who actually was a decent player at Cal. He would be somebody that I think that uh, the likes of Aaron Rodgers would love to throw to that Cal to Cal connection. But it, for me right now, he's a drop. Sterling Shepard. For me, he's a drop. He's been in the league far too long for us to not. We know who he is. We know what he is, and we know what team he's on. For me, he's a drop. For me, he's a stash. He's either a pickup or he's a stash. And it's simply because when 
Daniel Jones is healthy, when this offense has its full capability, he gets a crazy amount of target share. Like, I want to say he's the only guy in the league to have at least, like, eight targets over a, um, like, 17 consecutive weeks span that he's been healthy. His target share is too much to be ignored. I'm not saying that you should start him in any capacity, particularly given that Colt McCoy is going to probably be the quarterback for the Giants for the next week, if not more. But this is a guy that I think you can't ignore that type of potential value if he ever figures it out. Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, he's a stash for me. Somebody that is going to be a very, very good wide receiver for a couple years to come. We all know how high I was on him. Stash. He is not a guy that I'm probably starting this weekend because of some of the other options I have. He was a guy that was in my lineup a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but he's disappointed, especially with the emergence of T.Y. Hilton. And his targets have been there, but they just have not figured out how to get him in the catches. I don't think it's a drop situation. I just simply think it's part of the offense is not structured to force feeding him the ball in the way that you would hope uh, some of these other offenses have been able to raise the ability of some of their rookie wide receivers with a high degree of target share. So he's a stash for me as a long-term play, but right now in the short term, you're probably going with a T.Y. Hilton over Michael Pittman Jr. Zach Moss. Zach Moss is a stash for me. Somebody has to be the running back on that team. Yeah. Devin Singletary has actually been more impressive the last couple of weeks, and that offense is getting better again. I'm not sure what they're doing with Zach Moss. That's that's part of my problem. But, yes, he's probably a stash just because you can't not have a guy who could be the potential primary back in, in a productive offense. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, I believe in the talent, but I think his days in Philadelphia are gone. I think he can be a good quarterback in the right situation. I dropped him in Dynasty, but that was just to make room for other things that I needed for the playoff run. For me, he'd be a stash. It depends on what you have else on your roster. If you have the room, I think he might be an opportunity stash simply because he may be still productive and just needs a change of scenery. Maybe he ends up on a Denver, which is loaded with all those offensive weapons. Maybe uh, an Indianapolis, similar situation. He's got a lot of other options. So if he gets in a, a different situation maybe has the talent around him, he can turn it around. So you're really, your degree of risk on this one is probably minimal, especially because by the time you have to make roster decisions or your keeper selections, that he's not likely to, or he's likely to have picked a team or been on a different team because we're getting usually about training camp area for that one. But this is just kind of a speculative add and stash, but he's right on the line. If like you're going for a playoff, when I think there are much more valuable pieces to keep on your roster at the moment in the situation you had. But this is a guy, if you're on one of those low teams, maybe you take a risk on and uh, he's more valuable than, I don't know, uh, some uh, the seventh wide receiver option that's like the uh, fifth guy off the bench for the Jets that you may have. I don't know why you'd have them, but still. Uh, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, for me, is a drop. I just don't know what what his future looks like. I don't know where he'll be playing. I don't know who he'll be around. I don't even really know what he has left in the tank. I still think he's talented, but they're just not featuring him. And I, I think you could see a little bit of that burst and that excitement that he had there 
when uh, CEH was sitting out last weekend, but they just don't feature because the Chiefs are so good throwing the football, and Patrick Mahomes is so good uh, being able to make plays that they really don't need to run the football. So I think right now he's probably a drop. Maybe you can stash him, again, if you're in one of those lower-tier teams and hope that he ends up in a good situation where he's a primary guy. But I think more than likely he's going to end up in a committee, and if that's going to be the case, I don't know what his value is going to be. He's very close to the line on my team, and right now if I had to drop somebody, he's pretty much one of the next candidates to go. All right, Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is a drop for me. He was a really big name this summer, and we haven't heard from him since. He's injured right now, so I think he could be in that drop territory simply because I don't think anybody's going to stash him. I'm curious to see in this Browns offense where they're a little bit more run-heavy, run a lot of two tight end sets, what they can be if he starts that. But then again, you know, like it wasn't like the Vikings were running or uh, giving the tight end the ball a lot in target share when Stefanski was the coordinator over there either. So I think he's probably in droppable territory for me as well. Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup, for me, is somebody you stash. Dak Prescott's coming back. And Dak, I think, can keep three wide receivers relevant. I think even towards the beginning of this year, you know, he was kind of the odd man out with CeeDee Lamb. But I think they were still trying to figure out three wide receivers. I think it's, I think it's possible. So for Michael Gallup, there's a lot of talent that he has, and I like his talent a lot. I want to see what he can do, and I don't really think he's shown what he can do yet. For so for me, he's a stash. How much are the are the Cowboys going to be throwing the ball? That's the thing for me. I think Michael Gallup is a talented player and could be very good, but it's very hard for you to sustain three fantasy relevant or fantasy stud wide receivers on a on a single team. And the or excuse me, the Cowboys were throwing enough early in the season with Dak that it was close. But it's still even hard when Dak was throwing the ball like 45 to 50 times a game. So it just depends on the situation. And he could be one of those guys that is great in best ball. But right now, is he a guy that I think of uh, in huge terms that if uh, it's between him and somebody that's a little bit younger, maybe more dynamic, like a KJ Hamler, I'm probably keeping Hamler. Uh, Let's go to Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, for me, is a drop. I don't think he's on Baltimore next year. His uncertainty and his age, you know, he's up there pushing it. So, for me, he's a drop. He's lost whatever he had last year, and last year was a great ride for him with Baltimore. I agree with you. I think he's just a straight drop. And I don't think he's going to show back up in the league where he's like Adrian Peterson or Frank Gore, where he's still getting some tread on the tire at, at that age. I think at this point, he's likely to probably be done with Baltimore and possibly retire. So a straight drop for me as well. Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard is one that I can't figure out between stash and drop. We see that MVS is kind of moving into that wide receiver two territory, and he's starting to really build the trust out of Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is one of those quarterbacks where if he doesn't trust in you or if he doesn't believe in you and you keep dropping the ball... He's going to kind of give up, and he hasn't really done that with MVS. So I guess at this present time, Alan Lazard is a drop for me. Alan Lazard is a drop for me for two reasons. One, I don't own Devontae Adams. I think this is one of the rare times where you could say that it's a guy that's close to a handcuff 
as far as replacing a top-tier wide receiver. If Devontae Adams gets hurt, Alan Lazard, we saw it against the Saints when Devontae Adams was out, that he ends up stepping into the primary target role for this offense. So this is one of those weird situations where you could possibly handcuff a wide receiver. But the other situation is, is I think he's a cap casualty for the Green Bay Packers after this season. And if he's not on that team, I think his value goes significantly down because there are not a lot of teams where he's going to fit in and be fantasy relevant. James White. James White is kind of a straight drop for me, and I've said it a million times with I don't really trust New England Patriot running backs. They use too many of them. They're very unpredictable. So just for fantasy purposes, because I can't trust him, James White is a drop. James White was a productive back in a system where the quarterback used a short passing game or a dump-off system like they use a running game. For Tom Brady, who at the time when James White was really big, ended up throwing the ball 40 times a game, and they used him as kind of a short yardage type of run system, but through the passing game, then he was valuable. But now that they're featuring a run-heavy system, he's pretty much lost all of his value to me. I think he's a straight drop. Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is on my team, and he's somebody that I'm going to stash as well. I, You know... He was really, really, I felt like he was turning a corner midway through the season, but I feel like Kyler got hurt and then it kind of stunted what he was doing. He was on a really good three to four game stretch where he had caught a lot of long balls and he was really, really feeding off of all the extra coverage that Nuke Hopkins was getting. I still personally believe that Christian Kirk can be to Nuke Hopkins what Will Fuller was to Nuke Hopkins at least take some pressure off or at least earn some opportunities and get some rewards off of all the focus that Kyler or all the focus that Nuke Hopkins receives. That being said, Kyler Murray needs to become a better passer and that offense needs to become better as well. I do think it's an offense though that can that can handle two fantasy relevant wide receivers. So before I answer this question you had a trade worked out that involved Christian Kirk earlier this year. You didn't tell me what the details are. Are you ready to confess? I don't think I was ever holding it. I, maybe we just didn't come across it. I'm very open book when it comes to this stuff, just because I like talking about it. But for me, it was a deal that involved Darren Waller and I believe a second-round pick. And I think part of the reason the deal didn't go through is because my trade with Ed for Miles Sanders because Ed misunderstood the draft picks that I was offering for him. So in order to make it work, I had to give up the second round pick that I was going to end up giving up for Darren Waller. Again, me being a nice guy for Ed, but it's okay. I'll I'll do that for him. Um, But, um, you know, it's still, it was one of those things for me where, you know, Darren Waller has been super up and down tight end is such a unpredictable such an unpredictable position and I guess I just really wasn't ready to give up a 23 24 year old wide receiver who I think is in a really really fantasy relevant offense for an aging 30 31 year old tight end um, where you really don't know where his last good years are going to be so I will answer this now. He has been a straight drop. I have never thought as much about him as you have. And I frankly thought 
why wouldn't you pull the trigger? If somebody has any bit of value that you can get an actual asset back for him, I would have turned him over so quickly, it would have made anybody's head spin. This is a guy who I remember watching in college and had so much promise, and he would put together a couple of catches in a game, and he was an athletic freak, but never seemed to put a full resume together. And this is a guy that, to me, has all the athletic measurables, but never is going to put up the, the full product. I can see the Cardinals drafting another wide receiver to complement Nuke in this offense more than I can see Christian Kirk being a consistent fantasy option. I just simply don't see it. I've never seen it. And to me, he's not worth the effort to continually bang my head over whether or not to keep him uh, because you'll have kept him probably too long. If I'm wrong on this one, I'll be okay with that because in the end, I just, I honestly, I don't see it at all. I think we had the same conversation about um, Chris Godwin a couple of years ago too. But how many touchdowns do you think Christian Kirk has? This season? Yeah. Like five? He's he's at six. He hasn't had okay. any. He hasn't had any for a couple of weeks. And these last couple of weeks have been pretty brutal. But that being said, so is the Arizona offense. You know, and that's, I think that's what's kind of, keeping me afloat because you know he had three four straight games of double digit points three of those were 20 point games you know and he's getting he's consistently getting around five or six targets a game as well so with a young quarterback i i i just got to keep the faith you know tight ends they they're so so I get it. Iffy, I get it. Why you were know. hopeful on him? I just don't see it as far as the prospect. Yeah, and I, I get it also in coordination with the other guys you have on your team. So, like, I can make, I can see your credible argument there. It's just for me, I don't see it, and I'm not wasting my time on somebody where I think there are plenty of other guys I could potentially get value from. Uh, all right, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is somebody that I have, and the only reason I am keeping him is because the talent is there. Absolutely, the talent is there, but all of the wide receivers in Tampa Bay are underperforming, and I think it has everything to do with the person that's under under center. He's a very, very great real-life football quarterback, um, but fantasy-wise, he's killing he's killing these Buccaneers wide receivers. I miss Jameis Winston. Well, frankly, I'm still not sure why Jameis isn't at least doing some split time work with new Orleans to give them a different dynamic option to push the ball down the field, like at least once or twice to give some defenses a different look because he's too talented to not be at least playing somewhere for all the options that everybody had. And I don't care what it is. Like everybody has their worst interception years when it comes to playing in that, um, uh, offense with, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the head coach? Holy cow, who was their head coach? Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians. Was the coach uh, last year? Yeah. But Bruce Arians, his wor- or Ben Roethlisberger's worst interception rates were with Bruce Arians' as offensive coordinator. Andrew Lux, yep. majority of his interceptions early on in his career with, were with Bruce Arians as the offensive coordinator. Jameis puts up tons of interceptions because they push the ball down the field. Even Tom Brady has like double-digit interceptions for the year. And he's a guy who has always taken care of the football. So I I don't know. But to me, Antonio Brown is droppable because his usage rate is just plummeted. 
and it doesn't look like they're using him nearly as much as Tom Brady, who seems to be staring down Mike Evans or uh, Gronkowski just about every play. So, so, question. If Tom Brady retires and they're able to get somebody like a Carson Wentz, does that change your opinion on Antonio Brown and the Buccaneers wide receivers? No, because Antonio Brown won't be there. If he, I'm saying if he was to come back. I'm not even talking contracts. I'm so, just saying if he's there. Bruce Arians only has Antonio Brown on the roster because Tom Brady is there. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. There is no way any team is putting up with the headaches Antonio Brown presents without there being somebody there to advocate for him heavily that has some type of clout in the situation. So unless like Aaron Rodgers starts to go to bat for Antonio Brown all of a sudden, I just don't see him being a viable wide receiver because he's over 30. He's got so many other weird issues associated with him. And the production has not been there so far. Now, I know that he's in a different situation and a different team, but I I just, he's a different player than he was even with the Steelers two years ago or that one weird fluke game with the Patriots last year where he scored a touchdown. I I just, I don't see him being ever close to the person that he used to be. Uh, Jared Cook. Um, Somebody that's been productive, but he's also somebody that we know who he is. Um, so I'm not like running to grab him or anything like that, but depth wise, he's somebody that I would keep on my squad just because I know how difficult the tight end market is. With the tight end market the way it is and some difficult matchups for a few different tight ends this weekend, I think he could be an underrated stud territory because going against the Chiefs, you know that you're going to need to put up some offense and he's gotten a touchdown in multiple games over the last like four or five, even with Taysom Hill at quarterback. So I think he's a guy that if he finds the end zone could all of a sudden be putting up at least a viable fantasy number for you, especially if you don't have some other great options or one of your options is hurt going into this weekend, such as I think he might be a better option than TJ Hawkinson if Matthew Stafford's out. All right, that takes care of my list of pickup stashes or stream stashes and drops. Uh, But... Good luck to everyone this weekend. Good luck to you, my friend, before we end. Uh, There is a game on Thursday, the Chargers and the Raiders, so make sure you have whatever guys you have in for your fantasy lineups at that point. Thank you to everyone for listening. We did cross over the 450 download mark this week, uh, and we are nearing our 50-episode mark already for the season. But we will be back again later this week to break everything down for you. Until then... Good luck, everybody, and please wear a mask. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.